Matthew chapter 27, starting with verse 57. I told you uh, earlier that uh, three different preachers today, uh, three different Easter messages, three different perspectives. If you were here this morning for the uh, sunrise service, you had heard Brother Jimmy. You heard him talking about from the perspective of the women uh, and what it was, the reason that they did what they did. This morning, I'm, I'm got a little bit of a different angle or perspective on it. Uh, I'm going to talk about that hole in the ground. All right? Uh, the tomb. Okay? Uh, look at Matthew chapter 27. Let's start at verse 57. Let's just read about three or four verses here, and then we'll go to the Lord together in a word of prayer. Matthew chapter 27 and verse 57 begins and says, When the evening was come, there came a rich man of Arimathea, Arimathea named Joseph, who also himself was Jesus' disciple. He went to Pilate and begged the body of Jesus. Then Pilate commanded the body to be delivered. And when Joseph had taken the body, he wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had hewn out in the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the door of the sepulcher and departed. Let's go to the Lord together and pray. Heavenly Father, we humbly come before you. We thank you for the good day and for the many blessings. We thank you for the opportunity you've given us to gather here this morning. We thank you, Lord, for uh, each one that you've sent our way. We thank you for the roof you put over our head, the place to come into, nice, dry, warm place to come in and worship you. We thank you, Lord, for the nation that we live in, the freedom that we have to gather here. But we thank you most of all for the reason that we have to gather here, that you sent and gave your only begotten Son, that he died on Calvary's cross for the, our sins, for the sins of the whole world. And Lord, we're thankful and we praise you this morning that that's not the end of the story. As the scriptures bear out to us that on the third day he rose from the grave. And that today as I speak that grave is empty. Lord, because of that we have hope that one day our grave will be empty as well. Because of that we have hope of a resurrection. We have hope of eternal life. Lord, because of what you've done in our, for us. Because of Jesus died on our behalf. Lord, if we, we know that, by, that eternal life has been made possible to us. And God, we could, we're not worthy of it. We don't deserve it. We, can't, we couldn't thank you enough. We couldn't do enough to repay you. Not in a million years. And God, you knew that beforehand, but you've done it anyway. And so, Lord, my prayer this morning is, is that each and every one would leave here realizing in their heart what it is that you have done for them. That everyone would leave here uh, believing. That everyone would leave here a child of yours. Everyone would leave saved this morning. Lord, that's my heart's desire. It, it is not, you tell us in your word it's not your will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So the desire of your heart is for all to be saved, and that's the desire of my heart as well. And so, Lord, I'm just praying here this morning 
have your way and your will in our service and our midst here this morning. Move in the hearts of each one that is here. Uh, I always ask you, Lord, to clear my mind. But, Lord, maybe I should be asking you not only to clear my mind, but to clear the mind of everyone that is here this morning. Lord, help them to put everything else they might be concerned about, worried about, or thinking about to set it aside and to put their focus on you and on you alone. That we would devote ourselves this morning continually to worship. Lord, my prayer this morning is, is if there is anything in any of our hearts, any of our lives that hinder us, that hinder our walk with you, our relationship with you, that is coming between us and you, uh, anything that is separating us from you, Lord, if there is any that are backslidden, any that are lost and undone, God, let today be the day that they would repent and get things right with you before it's too late. And Lord, help me this morning to be the preacher that you've called me to be. Give me the words you'd have me to speak here this morning. Place on my tongue the very things you'd have me to say. Help it, Lord, to come from my spirit to their spirit, Lord God. Give them ears to hear, hearts to understand. Lord, let your spirit continue to be felt here. Just continue to pour yourself out. Lord, pour your holy unction out on us here this morning. Anoint me from on high that I might preach your message by your power and with your authority. And I'll be sure and give you every bit of the glory for it. God, we love you. We worship you. We praise your holy name. And we ask it all in the precious and holy name of Jesus. Amen. It's amazing when you look through the scriptures. You see some of the things. You know, they think that the book of Job was actually, you know, actually the first whole book of the Bible that was written. Now, I guess it depends a little bit on what theory you take with Genesis. We know chronologically that Genesis it was the first book written. And in some ways it is attributed uh, to Moses. But yet, you know, we kind of know that he probably drew on some older sources, right? Uh, and so especially when you go through the genealogies and the way that's set up, that almost leads us to believe that. So, you know, so Moses may have drew on some sources that was older. But most believe that the first uh, complete book uh, in the Bible was written, uh, that was written was Job. And you look all the way back to the book of Job. And, and don't think that this idea of a resurrection is a new thing or anything like that. Or what happens, uh, you know, after we die. Right in Job chapter 14 and verse 10 it says, But man dieth and wasteth away. Yea, man giveth up the ghost. And where is he? Job is asking the question, right? Job knows it's a prov provocative question, right? It's for the hearer to ask themselves that question. After a man dies, then where is he, right? What's going on then? And of course, we know, right, if we come over to the New Testament, it's made very clear to us, right? In the book of Hebrews, chapter 9, in verse 27, it says, It's appointed unto man once to die, uh, <clears throat> but after this, the judgment. Right? So we know, right, that death comes knocking for each and every one of us. But after this, 
is the judgment, right? There will be a day of reckoning, right? That's why so many of the philosophies are so popular today because there is, because in those there is no day of reckoning. There is no judgment, right? They like to teach and, and preach a good night forever, right? Close your eyes and no more nothing, right? And that says that man is not accountable for his actions. I've got news for you. There is a higher being, right? It is God, Jehovah, right? The one and only true God, the creator of the heavens and the universe. And we are accountable. There is a day of judgment and deep down in your heart. You know that even without me having to say it. You know that. Right? The whole idea of, of, of professing that when you close your eyes, there's nothing after that. Right? That's a self-soothing technique. Right? It makes you, you're trying to convince yourself. And it helps you to convince yourself if you can convince others. That's all it is. That's all. It's a psychological trick. That's all that it is and all this but deep down you can't ever get away from it you can't ever shake it right the ones that are so caught up in that right they'll get angry right if you really press them on it they get angry because deep down they know the truth there is a day of reckoning job knows that that's why he asked the provocative question where is he right when he says yay man give it up the ghost right that's talking about man is dying he dies where is he Job also said just a few verses later in Job 14, 14, he says, If a man die, shall he live again? That's another one of those provocative questions, right? Then he goes on and he says, All the days of my appointed time will I wait till my change come. What's Job talking about there? Right, Job is talking about what Jesus is the first fruits of, right? The, the change that's coming is that new body, right? We call it a heavenly body, right? The, the eternal body, right? The celestial body, right? Our resurrection body, right? What happens after we come forth from the grave? You know, it is a popular thing today and, and don't mistake me on this because it's a good thing people make preparations for when they die and that's a good thing if you've not made prepara preparations for when you die you ought to as someone who has had to take care of things when uh, I had a parent that, it, that passed away very unexpectedly and had no preparations made whatsoever uh, as a matter of fact dad was the type that he wouldn't even talk to you about it, you know, about any of it. If you, even if you try, he just wouldn't do it. And so anyways, I'm telling you here, and, and I've noticed, right, I've always been the person, I was, Mike said this morning that he was an old man since he was a little kid, and I, I understand where he's coming from. I had, uh, that remark resembles me in some respects. I had this weird thing, and I say weird thing because I didn't know of any of my other friends that was like this. But my grandma would always go around, right, leading up to, uh, sometimes she'd go other times of the year, but always before Memorial Day, leading up just as soon as the weather started to get nice about this time of year, 
She'd go around to all the cemeteries, right? She'd make, every, make sure everything was nice and everybody had flowers and stuff before Memorial Day, before everybody goes. Decorations Day is what we used to call it, you know, and go out and do all that. Was just the, that's just the way that she was. And as a little kid, I loved to go with her. And I found it interesting, and I found it fascinating. And, and I would go through, and I would read the different uh, tombstones. I would always, uh, I would always play. It, to me, there was always a game I'd play. I'd try to find the oldest one. You know, I, I would, and probably a lot of people do that. You know, I thought it was neat. And there would be ones, and I, and I remember after a couple of years, somebody had showed me the trick because there, you know, there were some cemeteries we go to, and the stones were so, so worn that you couldn't read it, right? And somebody had showed me a trick. I think it was, we'd take wax paper or something, some sort of paper, and put over it and color, you know, and then it would, then it would sometimes the lettering and stuff would come out and show up on that, on that paper that you did that on and, and be able to figure out the dates on it. And, and the two things that fascinated me was I like to look at the old ones and look for the old ones. I like for the ones that were unusual, that were different. But I also like to see the ones that were family members, right, that had some sort of connection. That's probably why, a lot of the reason why I've been so interested in, in um, you know, my family history and, and ancestry and, and, you know, and have done all that kind, all that kind of stuff. Um, my grandma, she had a good knowledge, not just her family, but on my grandpa's side of the family too because he'd passed away before I was ever born. I never knew him. And so she would tell me all these different ones, different things. And, and I tried to, I didn't realize it at the time, but as I got older and become an adult, I realized, and Grandma's gone now, she's gone on to be with the Lord, I realized that she's passed on a lot of knowledge to me that actually a lot of my family and older family members that maybe should know these things didn't know these. And so I thought, well, I don't want to be the one that takes all this knowledge with me to the grave. So I started taking my kids. I started taking them around at different times and, you know, just sharing with them. And there's a lot of things that I forgot that Grandma had told me. And then when we get there and we start, you know, and I'll remember and share that. But I, here's one thing. It's the reason I'm telling you all this. One thing that I've noticed is different. Now, or much more common now than 30 years ago. As I notice that there's a lot of people that are put that have put up their headstones that aren't dead yet. See, back then, you know, I don't hardly there was some stones up where a spouse had died and it was a double stone, and then so the spouse that was still living, you would have their birth date, and that was it. But I don't recall ever seeing a grave of somebody where there was no spouse there, there was no nothing. They had just made their preparations. You go to probably any cemetery around anymore today, and you will see that. It is very common, right? Spouses that want to be buried together, they'll have their stone. It'll be set their birthday. That way, their family, right, they, they've already been to the funeral home. They've got a policy, or they have prepaid, or whatever, made arrangements. They've got it all lined out, and the, basically... Whenever they pass away, there's just some blanks the family has to fill in, like as far as children, grandchildren, so on that's been born after that. All that the, the headstone company has to do is paid for, taken care of, set. They picked out the one that they want, and all that's left is they just have to put the death date on there. Right? You see that. That is so common today. And I was thinking, one, that's smart. You should consider that. 
Me and Jennifer has talked about it a lot, and, I, and we should do that. I know I have my burial plots. I know where I'm going to be. We haven't put up a stone yet or anything like that. But I wonder how many people, right? So many people today are making preparations for when they die because they know they're going to die one day. But how many people make preparations for eternity? Right? They, they believe they're going to die one day, right? It, it, you know, if they had, didn't believe that, then they wouldn't make earthly preparations. So they know, right? That's one half of the equation, right? The age-old question has been asked since the time of Job and before that, since the beginning of mankind, the question that's been asked, right, is when a man dies, right? He giveth up the ghost, uh, and where is he, right? Uh, if a man dies, shall he live again? Those are the questions. What happens? And so, so many know that they're going to die one day, right? They know that or they wouldn't make those earthly preparations. But do they believe that they could live again? I'm going to have to answer, obviously not. <laughs> because they store the riches here instead of in heaven. Right? The Bible says that's where your heart is, is wherever your riches is, right? They make all their plans for here, all their preparations for here. All their riches are stored for here, right? And, and don't get me wrong, we should be a good steward of what God puts, gives us and puts under our care. We should. We know that we'll die one day, and we should make preparations for that. But yet, that is just the beginning, right? What about eternity? What about after that? I look here. Joseph of Arimathea Arimathea however you say the town he's from I read to you the verses that I read to you right verses 57 through 60 because it tells the story of a man who had made preparations for when he died right did you catch that in what I read it's just three, three or four verses here let me read it to you again and I'll point a couple things out to you Verse 57 says, When even, right, that means evening, when evening was come, there was a rich man of Arimathea named Joseph, who also himself was Jesus' disciple. All right, so we know who we're talking about, Joseph of Arimathea. He was a disciple, a follower of Jesus. Verse 58, he went to Pilate and he begged the body of Jesus, right? So Jesus has been crucified on the cross. He is hanging, hanging there dead in Joseph, right? He's a man of power. He goes to, in uh, wealth, and he goes to Pilate and he begs the body of Jesus because he cares so much he wants to bury him, right? He wants to give him a proper burial. I don't know if you realize it or not, but, uh, but when Joseph... Joseph is doing this. Uh, Joseph is burying himself also, at least socially and economically and as far as any power and any standing and respect because now he is publicly identifying himself with Christ. Then Pilate commanded the body to be delivered. I think Pilate was surprised by this. 
And I think Pilate, you know, of course it says he gave it to him. Verse 59, then Joseph had taken the body, he wrapped it in the clean linen cloth. As Jimmy talked about this morning, there was a limited amount of time, right? They were, it was coming up on dark, right, which was when the Sabbath began. They had to have done whatever they were going to do by then, right? We read about this in all four Gospels. We know the ladies that Jimmy was talking about this morning is standing over on the other side. They're watching this take place so they know what will happen what they need to do when they come back Sunday morning. And verse 60 says, And he laid it in his own new tomb, which he had hewn out in the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the door of the sepulcher and departed. The first part of that, he laid the body of Jesus in his own new tomb. This tells the story of a man who had made preparations for when he died. Right? Just like the people I were talking about today, who has made preparations for when they die. Right? They've, they've got things lined out with a funeral home. Right? Somewhere is written down what their wishes are. Their stone is already up with their name and whatever special they wanted on it, whether it was the date that they were married, whether it's a scripture, whether it's something they used to say all the time or whatever. But anyways, they, they would put that, they will have that up there. Right? And, and everything is, is prepared. Everything is ready. Here, here is this Joseph. Jake, I'm getting something through the monitor here. I don't know if it's coming through the main speakers too or not. <clears throat> a rich man. If you, read, if you read all four accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, each one gives us a little more of a detail about him. If you put it together, you find that Joseph was a rich man, right, from the town of Arimathea, right, which, is, which was about 25 miles northwest of Jerusalem. We see that, of course, as I've already mentioned, this man's name was Joseph, right? And the Bible also tells us that he was a good and just man who was waiting for the kingdom of God. It also tells us that Joseph was an honored member of the Sanhedrin. That's why, and I believe it's Mark's account or Luke's account, it refers to him as a counselor because he sat on the council of the Sanhedrin. He was a person of power. He was a person of wealth. Uh, but it also tells us when it says that he sat on that council that he did not consent to the council and to the deed of them. Right? That means that he did not agree with the decision that they made concerning Christ, concerning Jesus, right? So he had been a voice of opposition. And of course, we know Nicodemus would have been another one who was a voice of, op of opposition. Uh, and so anyways, um, you see, up until this point, Joseph had been a secret disciple of Jesus because of his fear of the Jews. The Bible tells us the same is true with Nicodemus, right? If you read John's account of this, Nicodemus came and helped Joseph prepare the body. I believe he even brought 100 pounds of some of the spices and things that they used when they prepared a body for burial, right? And so Nicodemus came and helped him, right? We also know that Joseph, as I read to you a minute ago, right, that on the day of Jesus' crucifixion, that he boldly went to Pilate 
and he asked the body of asked for the body of Jesus. Right, the, the secret's out of the bag. He's no longer a secret disciple. That's why I said what I did well ago when I said when he buried Jesus. Right, he buried all the the wealth and influence and power that he had. He buried it also because that was gone from that point. He was he would have been an outcast. He would have been he would have lost his position on the council. Right, he would have been he would have been marked as a follower of Christ. And Nicodemus, as I said, came and, and helped him prepare the body for burial. And they laid it to rest in Joseph's own tomb, which the Bible says was a new tomb where never a man laid. Have you ever thought about that before? Right? Those of you that already have your arrangements made in your burial plot and you know maybe you've even bought your casket I've known people who make their own casket this would be like giving all of that to somebody else right all this this was not something that was planned and thought out a long time a long time ahead of time right this was something that had to happen fast right Jesus, he is, look, all in one night, right? He is arrested. He is taken before the, uh, before the, you know, the Sanhedrin, the Jews. He's taken before Herod. He's taken before Pilate. He comes back before Pilate. He is, he is whipped. He is crucified. All of this is happening, right? We're talking in the span of hours. All of this takes place. And now, just before evening is whenever he gets the body and there's not enough time to do everything that they normally do and Joseph just immediately says I'm going to put him in my grave I'm going to put him in my tomb here's the thing that I've always wondered about this do you reckon Joseph had any idea that he was just loaning Jesus that grave for a few days? Do you have any idea whenever, uh, whenever he done this, that he, that he, that he, if he knew whether or not, I don't know the answer to that, but you ever thought about that? Do you think he had any idea that here in just a couple days, this thing was going to be open and empty again? Hallelujah. Glory to the Lamb of God. That's what we celebrate today, right? I told you a while ago, Job 14, 14 says, If a man die, shall he live again? All the days of my appointed time will I wait until my change come. Hallelujah. Oh, how I look forward to that day, that resurrection morning, right? In just a few days, Joseph's tomb is empty again, right? We, we've got all this is happening Friday evening as, as dark is approaching, right? Or dusk is approaching. And then by Sunday morning, right, the ladies are back down there to finish the things that they wanted to do uh, for the burial process for Jesus' body. And they get there in that big old heavy stone, right? Somebody said this morning that that, that stone they rolled in there was the same diameter-wise, the same size as a 4 by 5 bale of hay and, and how heavy it was. Now, not to roll it, but if you were just going to pick it up flat, then they estimated it takes something like 20 men to lift it up. And, you know, the girls get down there and they think, how are we going to move that stone? But when they get there, it's already rolled away, right? The angel says, why are you looking for the living among the dead, right? He is risen. He's not there any longer. The tomb is empty. 
And that is the first fruits of the resurrection. It's the promise of our resurrection, right? Oh, how I look forward to that resurrection morning. If you look in uh, John's gospel, and John chapter 5, and uh, let me read it to you, verse 28, it talks a little bit about resurrection. Some things you need to know about resurrection, right? Because that wasn't the only resurrection. There's more to come. John 5, 28 says, Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in the which all that are in the graves shall hear his voice. Right? So it's talking about don't be surprised, don't be shocked by this. Right? Don't let it catch you off guard. You need to be prepared. Because the day is coming that everyone that is in the grave will hear his voice as he calls him forward. Verse 29 says, And shall come forth they that have done good unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. Do you, did you catch that? There's two resurrections there. There's a resurrection to life and there's a resurrection to damnation, right? That's death. You see, it makes clear that all will come forth. Either in the first resurrection, which is the resurrection of life, or in the second resurrection, which is the resurrection of damnation. All will come forward to one or the other, right? Those who take part in the first resurrection, the resurrection of life, they will live and reign with Jesus for all of eternity, right? We think about it as just being in heaven, right? And I've told you so often, wherever Jesus is, that is where heaven is, right? And so for all of eternity, they will be there with Jesus. But all those that take part in the second resurrection, they're going to be cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, right? That's where the beast and the, and the false prophet will already be. And they'll be tormented day and night forever, right? There's a false doctrine that goes around that says that hell is, is temporary, that you're cast into hell and you burn up like that and it's over. Listen to me, that's not what the Bible says. That's not what the scripture says, right? It is a forever torment, day and and night. Revelation chapter 20 verse 11 says, And I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead small and great stand before God and the books were opened and another book was opened which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Friend, listen to me. You have a choice to make. Whether you are part of the first resurrection or the second resurrection is completely up to you. Totally your call. You make the decision. You decide. But listen, you've got to know before you leave here this morning that Jesus already paid the price at the crucifixion. On Calvary's cross, he paid for your ticket to the first resurrection. Right? Your ticket, your price, it's already been paid. 
right? You have the ability to participate in the first resurrection, the resurrection of life. It's already. You didn't have enough to pay for it. You couldn't ever come up with enough to pay for it. You couldn't do enough good works, right? You couldn't uh, accumulate enough money. There was no way. Whatever means you had, it would never be enough. God knew that. So Jesus, he sent his only begotten son, Jesus, and he died, and he paid the price for you. Your ticket is bought for the first resurrection. It's just up to you whether or not you go. Right? It's just like somebody buying a ticket somewhere for you and say, here you go, right? And then it's just up to you whether or not you go. Price has been paid already. And listen to me. This is not one of them things where you can just be like, nah, I, just, I don't think I'm going to go and there's no consequences. You are either going to go in the first or the second resurrection. Period. Everyone who doesn't show up at the first one, you will be brought up at the second one. You will be there. So maybe here's my message to you this morning. Christians, for all of you, his name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life. You're on your way to heaven. You know that your ticket has been bought and you are ready. You will be there in that first resurrection then you still have a job to do. You have a message to deliver. You have a warning to sound. And as glorious of news as this resurrection is that we've been talking about today, as glorious of a news, that's only glorious news to the Christian. You see, to the lost person, it's a wake-up call. Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back, right? That's why the door was left open. He is coming back. And for the and for the saved, that is glorious news. That is wonderful. For the lost, not so much. For the lost, it's a wake-up call. You better get ready. You better, you, better make, you better make your preparations now while you still can. Because there is coming a day, there is coming a moment when it's too late. I know I need to quit, but I can't help but think the flood in the ark is a type of what is still yet to come. And all those people, right, that, that could have had opportunity to get on the ark before the flood didn't want nothing to do with it. And can you imagine the cry? After the door had been shut, oh, there was no second opportunity, second chance. That's another one of them lies that's preached and taught today, is that there'll be another opportunity, there'll not be another chance, there'll be a time of purgatory or whatever the case may be. Listen to me, there's not. You need to make your preparations now. Because when it comes your time, Right, whether you go by way of the grave or by the second coming of the Lord, when time is no more, that's it. There is no other opportunity. You need to be prepared. You need to be ready now. Would you stand to your feet? I want to open the altar, and I want to give you a chance to come this morning.
If the Spirit of God is dealing with you, would you come this morning? If you've got a need, if you've got a burden, would you come this morning? Maybe you've realized for the first time you're not where you ought to be with God. Would you come this morning and get it right before it's too late? Maybe this morning God's brought something to your attention that you need to deal with, something you need to talk to Him about, something you need to get out of the way. Now's a good time to come and take care of that. Maybe, maybe there's somebody on your heart. Maybe you've got a burden for somebody and you'd just like to pray for them. That'd be all right. Whatever it is, don't miss this opportunity. Would you come?